This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Mittler. Oh, we're going that way. All right. I thought we were supposed to. I don't know. Mark's in the bathroom still, so he <laughs> screwed us all up. I don't know. <laughs> this is going to release by the time he's home. Are you doing that for my safety? <laughs> anyway, anyway, he's still in Ireland. Yeah. Are, are we? This is we're going to go with this Let's intro, just, huh? Yeah. Why not? This is what happens when Mark is <laughs> not around. Let's yeah. be honest. He is the glue that keeps us all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by his I mean, we, we tease him yeah. and and whatnot, but yeah, without him, we are just wandering. Well, I don't know what we are. Yeah. I was going to say minstrels, but I'm like, that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Well, here we are. So, what about tongues, though? Yeah, so we're going to talk about tongues. Yeah. And and the reason is we had a listener, um, a young guy in the UK. By the way, have you ever tried to figure out the difference between the UK, England, and Britain? No. There's actually a whole videos d- d- devoted to explain it. And I don't, I don't remember if he's from England, Britain, or the UK. But anyhow, he sent us several questions um, in relationship to tongues. Yeah. He just wanted to understand them. For life of us, we can't find them anywhere. I don't know what happened to them. Um, and so we're going to try to address the nature of tongues regardless. And hopefully in that, we can answer his questions. But at the same time, if he listens, and he says he's a regular listener... Um, Feel free to send us send it back yeah. because yeah. we want to make certain that we're actually helping you um, yeah. because we're writing this specifically for you. But we also know it's a huge issue. Um, it, it's a, a, the nature of tongues is something that um, actually is very divisive. Um, and we want to try to just say, what does the scripture actually say? Again, going back to our name, Faith and Fable, um, there's all kinds of fable with regard to tongues, all kinds of stuff that just nowhere in the scripture are you going to be able to find it but yeah. it's now part and parcel of of the christian experience in so many yeah. places so we have a few requests though yeah so the first one is we would say try and control your reactions and just listen that's all we're saying uh it can be a very emotional topic for people and maybe they're already tempted to just turn it off right now uh, or not even listen because yeah. they know where we stand. Sure. Or not. Maybe they don't. Uh, so we're just saying, j- just just hear us out. Just listen. We're, engage with us. Right. Send us messages. We want to interact with you. And we don't, we really mean that. We would really love to hear if you're like, I just don't think you're right. Okay. Just from a biblical foundation, give us your your challenge or your question or your complaint. We don't mind that. Uh, I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ will disagree on doctrine. But, you know, if it's just, I know what I experienced, well, then we, we have no yeah. ability to deal with how you feel or what ex, what kind of an experience you had. Right. Um, so the second thing we'd ask you to do is that when we actually start dealing with the biblical text, 
it would be good to listen to these podcasts with your Bible open. Now, if you do this while you're driving, please don't do that. Yeah. But we can't emphasize that enough. I mean, it would be really helpful if you actually had your Bible open and you're looking at them, especially if this is something you're struggling with yeah. one and, way or the other. And in subsequent episodes, yeah, we're going to start getting into some texts. Yeah. Again, so you got to be looking at them. Uh, third, understand that, and this is our presupposition, but experience does not equal divine revelation, as you said. And so, if, again, if you disagree on this point, that experience isn't divine revelation, then at this point we would say, then don't listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Because we're, we we're not having the same conversation on the same plane. Right. We're just... Our points of authority are completely yeah. opposite. We can say whatever we want from the text, and you can say, yeah, but I know what I experienced. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's probably my most common experience yeah. uh, with people that I've talked to who bring their complaint. Um, I remember a blog that uh, a guy in our church once had, and he brought up some things, and somebody responded and said, yeah, but what about this verse? So I actually dealt with that in depth. And so instead of responding to it, he then said, well, what about this one? Then I'm like, wait, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. go back to this first verse and let's just talk Engage about at it. the level of this text. And, and see, if, right. if, if you don't want to hold to it anymore, that's great. And then we can look at the next one. But yeah. nope, it was just, we're going to throw out verses, ignore what you say, and just keep throwing verses. That's, that's no help. Uh, then there's a fourth thing. Um, understand that all theology must be derived from the Bible or it's ultimately going to mean nothing. Uh, this is at the core of good theology, but it's often missed. So if you're building your theology off of experience rather than a text, it's not theology. Yeah. Uh, fifth, we also understand that the issue of tongues is multifaceted in the minds of many people right. at many different levels. So it deals with worship, prayer, the Holy Spirit, salvation. That's, I mean, that's at the very core of a lot of this. The gospel, judgment, prophecy, and and other things like that. And this is why it's hard to discuss. It's very near and dear and close to so many. And so, just even at that emotive level, we understand that is all we're saying. And then the final thing that we would ask you to think about is there's a vagueness in how this is discussed discussed within church history. Uh, it's common to refer to a charismatic as a Pentecostal and the other way around, yeah. but actually that's historically incorrect. Um, for a simple but uh, helpful historical sketch of this, I would say they could go to a place called uh, www.samstorms.com, and he's got a helpful article on the history of the charismatic and Pentecostal movements. Mm -hmm. We don't endorse Sam Storms. No. In fact, he just came out arguing just the other day that women can be pastors. I'm mm -hmm. just like, come on. Yeah. Do you listen to our podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably would have changed his mind. <laughs> uh, so understand, we're not telling you go there because he is the end all of end all. Um, we're saying that he has a useful page there. That he does a nice job of showing the differences and how they came out, different streams of theology and church history. And that point is well taken. But yeah, Pentecostals aren't charismatics. And there were different waves of charismaticism. Yes. Right. And so depending on which wave you're talking about, they're going to mean something different yep. on this issue. Yeah. So, Before you guys were born, I, I was encountering the vineyard movement. Mm -hmm. And it was just hitting the, uh, hitting the scene. And now it's, it's actually considered kind of an old movement. Yeah. Um, and that's what Wayne Grudem 
is part of. Um, so background-wise, <laughs> um, this became actually a, a point of questions for me when I was actually all the way back in seventh grade. So that would have been in the, I guess, yeah, early 70s. 1920. No, shut up. <laughs> um, because I lived in California, and that was when the Jesus movement mm-hmm. was just yeah. breaking out. And there was this girl, I was seventh grade. She sat next to me in one of my classes, and she was a very bad girl. She was involved mm-hmm. in everything you can imagine, and then some. And all the guys wanted to be around her. And she was just one that I avoided. Uh, but she was, one day she comes into the class and she's singing to herself. And I'm like looking at her because she's just singing weird. And I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, oh, I'm just so happy. I, I've been baptized with the Spirit. Mm. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I'm a Christian now. And she was just bubbly. And I'm like, I looked at her, I said, well, I'm a Christian too. And she's like, oh, you were baptized with the Spirit too. And so I'm like, I have no idea what she's talking about, mm-hmm. but I'm a Christian, so I guess so. Yeah. So I said, yeah, yeah. And then she started talking about tongues. And I'm like, I have no idea what she's talking about. But being a seventh grade boy, I'm, I'm, I just lied. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never told my dad or anybody else about it. I just kind of tucked that away of what was that? And she, she was uh, all happy and and whatnot for a while, and then about two, three weeks later, everything just went back to normal. Okay. Uh, but then, fast forward, I'm, I left college in when I was going to living in Idaho. I moved down to Houston, Texas, and a friend who used to go to college with me, uh, she and her new husband lived there too, and somehow we connected. And so she invited me to their church and it was an Assembly of God church. Never been mm. to one. Yeah. Um, I'm like, sure. So we're there and, and it was a little different, but then the main service started mm-hmm. and we're I'm expecting what I grew up in. Yeah. Which is not that. Nope. And so, you know, you stand up and they start singing, but it was like, wow, they got drums up there. Wow, oh, they yeah. got they got all kinds of stuff up there. But but as the singing started, it gets more and more loud and all of a sudden people are dancing. Mm-hmm. I'm I've never seen that before. I'm like they're moving. And then they get out in the aisle and they start jumping and spinning. Mm-hmm. And then people started saying out loud, thus saith the Lord. And I'm like, whoa. And they're saying stuff and then people are clapping. And then people started talking in this very strange way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would call it babbling. I had no idea what was going on. I was mm-hmm. like, and they're just standing there like this is normal. And I'm thinking, what is that? So I asked them afterward. I'm like, mm-hmm. what were they doing? She yeah. And she said, oh, they're just talking in tongues. I'm like, oh. So I wrote to my dad, and I'm like, hey, Dad, have you ever heard of anything called tongues? And three days later, a book arrives yeah. <laughs> uh, all about tongues. And I'm like, apparently he did, and <laughs> he never told me about it. But, I, I mean, I just remember how I was befuddled. It was It had no connection into my whole Christian experience growing up in a Christian home, mm-hmm. going to a Christian college or anything else. Um, but that was my experience. I mean, I was more in high school. I, that was certainly my circles. 
I mean, I grew up Baptist, but then once I hit high school, my friends went to charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches. And so I used to play, I was never a member of a charismatic church, but I would play on like their worship teams and those kinds of things. But I never spoke, I've never spoken in tongues. I've never prophesied. I've never performed a miracle, never healed anybody. But in all of that, I had a lot of questions. I just didn't really care though, because that's where my friends went and the music was pretty good. Yeah. But I started learning about this thing called being slain in the spirit. And no one could explain that to me other than it was some deeper communion with God. But I knew these people, I knew their private lives. And (laughs) there was a disconnect between you have these very personal, intimate experiences with God, Mm but I also know you and I know your sin and I know the lack of growth, not to be mean, but it's just, but it's just, it was this different plane or sense of experience. And that is where the questions came for me. I started then being accused of not being holy enough, not being godly enough, because I also, I wasn't doing those things. And so that set me on a quest. I started doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying on this stuff in late high school and very quickly moved myself out of it. But that that's my background. But that's quite a, a few, it was my formative years though. And that's what made it difficult. Well, I remember actually teaching at uh, the college, local college at the University Christian Fellowship. And I had these guys that all went to a charismatic church and they, they enjoyed my teaching. And they, they actually asked me, you know, hey, would you be willing to do like a men's Bible study with us? And I'm like, sure, if you guys set up. And I'm like, what do you guys want to work through? Now I'm thinking the Bible text. Yeah. We're going to do a Bible study. And they're like, well, we, we just really need to learn how to stop looking at porn. And I looked at them and I said, I wasn't well received what I said, but I said, wait a second, don't you go to X church in our town? And they're like, yeah. I said, don't you all speak in tongues? Yeah. And don't you, aren't you all being baptized with the spirit? Yeah. And yet the fruit of the spirit completely contradicts what you just described about yourself. So what, what's going on here? Um, there's something wrong. I said, so if you want to do a Bible study with me, that's fine, but we're going to look at some of these things because you've got a theology that's telling you something opposite. And Well, that was my issue at a practical level. Right, that's what you were describing, I'm being told these things, but there was such a disconnect in my mind and what I was seeing and experiencing. So, uh, like I said, that personally sent me on a... A quest, to right. say the least. <laughs> now, what surprised me, though, Lena, you said you never actually experienced any of that firsthand. No. So you're... Never seen it. Only on YouTube. Only on YouTube, which is hand-picked clips, of course, you know. Yeah, that's not... Yeah. So that stinks. But I do know... The one thing is that um, I do know the reputation that our theology has given us and... Like I'll talk to friends that came from that background or I'll talk to friends. I just had a conversation with um, a lady in our church who ran into someone that she used to know from the church she used to go to. She used to go to charismatic church and she told them where she's been going for the last 20 years or whatever, which is missio. And always the response is, oh yeah, they know their Bible, but they don't get the Holy Spirit. And I'm just like, how can you know your Bible and not get the Holy Spirit, right. yeah. <laughs> they, those, those can't be disconnected from each other, you know? So that's just always been the painful frustration. 
Yeah, I know for a fact that we there are some people who told me that they actually look on me with pity mm-hmm. yeah. because I, I don't. Same, yeah. And I'm like, we're missing out. Don't don't yeah. we're we're not we don't feel sad. Um, and and that's in part why I did that thing on the spirit and the word right. because I tried to show biblically how the spirit never, indeed, won't work apart from the word. Exactly. Right. That, that the word's his only vehicle through which he does anything. Right. And so if, if, if we know our Bibles and we know our, <laughs> you know, no. we know our word, that's the means and the vehicle through which the spirit does his, right. any of his work. But if you don't have the word and you have a surplus of the spirit, that's a contradiction of scripture. Right. And, and then we did that um, podcast on the spirit indwelling, spirit baptism, right. spirit filling. And we would, we would say in light of what we're going to talk about over the next couple of podcasts, they should really listen to that. Um, and, yeah. and again, have their Bible um, and, and reacquaint themselves with that or listen to it for the first time because it gets into some of the bigger issues too. Uh, I would, I mean, I'm going to use a pejorative term, but there's a lot of sloppy theology out there where they just intermix baptism and filling and then by the time you're done, you have no idea exactly what the Spirit's doing because they're all the same thing. And yeah. this is where people then start to say, well, I mean, there's there are some people who would argue that if you have not spoken in tongues, you're not a Christian. I mean, yeah. flat out denominations that say this, is, mm-hmm. this will be evidenced. Um, and then you have others who will say, no, you can be a Christian, but there's a second blessing. Right. And it's like, well, wait a second, we're still talking about the same subject and yet, there's this large disagreement even among those who would hold to tongues as to exactly why they're manifesting themselves and what they're supposed to do and when do they come. So we're hoping to at least say, look, we don't believe in it like they, so so many people would say tongues are. We're going to try to describe what it means, but um, we're just going to look at the text. Yeah, and and. Try not to assume what you think we might mean. Yeah. Give us a few episodes yeah. and then at that point, engage with us. Yeah. If you, if you, at the end you say they're idiots, well, okay. Yeah. But at least you, you listened and hopefully look down at your scripture. So. And we're not casting our eyes down on anyone right now in prideful arrogance. We're just opening up the Bible and saying what Well, it Matt says. is. Well, Don't do that, Matt. Because I'm so tall. I can't. Yeah, well, that's true. You're tall. I'm short. I have to look up to everyone. That's part of my humility. Um, but no, it, you're right. And But again, when you're going to get into faith and fable, yeah. by, by necessity, you're going to irritate people because there's just all kinds of bad doctrine out there or weak doctrine or errant doctrine. And we're going to say, what does the text say? What 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 is this faith that we believe in? And yeah. what does the word say? So, well, we're going to start out with some boring things, but I hopefully they'll be somewhat. We'll we'll keep them somewhat interesting. We'll talk about some lexical points. Sure. So the the term glossa is the Greek term, and it, it's used in the Bible a few simple ways. It's the one often translated as tongues, um, and, and it's important because um, only because of how much ink has been spilled about this idea of speaking in tongues. Massive. I mean, whole books are written on the nature of tongues and importance in tongues and why you should speak in tongues. Whole sermons are... Yeah. Many trees have died. Yes. Right. 
So, so listen to how this word is used and compare it to the way that you hear it used in your own context or in your own surroundings in, in the church. Um, so it's, it's used first 161 times in both the Old Testament Septuagint, right. which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and then the New Testament. So only 161 times in the entire Bible, first of all. Right. Yeah. Um, in the Old Testament, it can be used to speak of a bar of some type of precious metal, like mm. gold. Uh, they would use the term tongue for what we would call a bar, right. like a bar of gold. They, uh, mm-hmm. Sort of like also a, a, a tongue of a wagon right. would be another one. So so in the 161 times it's being used in the entire scripture. Not even there's some of those. Language. There's some of those. A lot yeah. of them in the Old Testament. Yeah, getting <laughs> yeah, lots of that are part of this category. Right. Um, so yeah, so glosa is is just a word, and yeah. it's used 161 times, and already we've shown that some of it's totally boring. It's just a bar of some kind of oppressive. Unrelated to yeah. the topic of tongues, tongues as we know it. Right. Right. Uh, it also can talk about, unsurprisingly, <laughs> the actual tongue. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in Mark seven thirty five, it says his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed. Um, there's no tongue speaking going on here. It's just the tongue. Um, or in Romans fourteen eleven, for it is written, "As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God." Again, talking about the tongue. Now, technically, you would call this a figure speech. Um, mm-hmm. It's a synecdoche. We talked about that with the role of women preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, the tongue refers to actually the totality of the person. That right. It's just simply saying every person will give praise. Um, but the whole point is still, you understand the use of tongue there. And again, this is actually rather common. In James, he talks about the tongue is a restless evil and mm-hmm. who can tame it. Right. Um, and he's not talking about speaking no. in tongues. No. So now another chunk of the term glosa is reserved to not even talk about the topic of tongues as we know it. Yeah. It's in reference to the physical right. fleshy thing in your yeah. mouth. Muscle. And we're saying keep <laughs> that in mind, when you think about how much some people will talk about tongues, all we're trying to do is show you, okay, when you actually go to the Bible, there's only 161 uses, and already we're just getting rid of a bunch of them that they have nothing to do with tongues as it's commonly. So now we have two more examples that are the predominant way that this term is used in the New Testament, so it's really important to hear now because now we're completely settled into the New Testament. Um, It's used in a figurative manner many times, uh, but again, not like people expect. Mm -hmm. So you want to read the Acts 2, verse 3, Lena? Mm -hmm. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of one of them. All right. Um, And then also the Romans 3, 13. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. All right. So here we have a figurative use. Um, it it's refers to the speech of a person. That's rather common in the Old Testament as well. You'll see it in like Psalm 50, verse 19, which says, you let your mouth loose in evil and your tongue frames deceit. It's not emphasizing so much the muscle of the tongue. It's just talking. It's a figure of speech to refer to your speech. Uh, yeah. So that, but that's very common in the New Testament is it's talking about speech. Yeah. And 
in yeah. a figurative manner. Exactly. Yeah, because the the X two three. Um, I just want to point it out because for some reason people miss it, but it's tongues as of fire. Right. It's not literal fire or. I, I literally heard a right. sermon where a guy preached that they're in the upper room and fire started appearing in there. Right. That's not even remotely, it's tongues as of fire. Right. I think the net says like. Yeah. So yeah. in case you're wondering, symbolic language, like. Yeah, yeah. simile. So the normal usage though is, is to refer to languages. Um, so Acts 2, 4 um, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, with the way that this is translated, you're left wondering a little bit as to what is meant by this, where it says, speak with other tongues. Um, and, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered. Why? Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So now, and it's the term that we get dialect from. So now we have a clear explanation as to what is meant by speaking with tongues. Right. Languages. Yeah, so it's not a hidden language. It's right. not some strange thing. It's just a foreign language, which is still pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but it's a foreign language that was not known to the speaker, mm -hmm. and, and that's the point. And they list off every region and nation that yeah, hears I'm, their own right. language. In fact, I think I get into it. We're going to make you read that one so that you can have fun. Spell, mispronounce things. Uh, and then also in Revelation 5, 9, you want to read that one, Lena? Sure. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. All right. So again, we're still talking about just languages. Um, it's one of the ways that the Bible will break down uh, people groups. You belong to a specific tribe or a nation or a people, or you're defined through a common language. And we, we saw that with a missionary that was came from Cameroon, and she's from the Kom tribe. Mm -hmm. And they all speak the same language, Kom. Mm -hmm. And the moment you hear them, you know they belong to that tribe because they have a, a common tongue mm -hmm. or language. So that's all that is. And again, you're going to see that used in Revelation a lot. So Revelation 7, 9, 10, 11, 11, 9, 13, 7, 14, verse 6, and 17, 15. Every one of those are saying the same thing, that there's it's this breakdown of the people groups by their their language. Again, it has nothing to do with some ecstatic speech or heavenly right. uh, language. Right. Um, tongues in the book of Acts. Right. Yeah. Um, so on this one, to, to listen to some people talk uh, or teach, you might think that Acts is filled with yeah. plenty of instruction or explanation regarding the gift of tongues. Um, but the reality is it's far different. There's actually only six occurrences of the actual term tongues um, and four of them are in chapter two, right? which we just talked about is in reference to languages. Mm -hmm. um, and only four of the six times is speaking of the idea of speaking in tongues. Yeah. Right. In fact, it bugs me that we have to keep saying tongues because it's not a good translation. Yeah. But... The net translates as languages. Usually. <laughs> usually. Um, yeah, you like that net? Uh, what is that? New English translation. It's an excellent new translation out there. Um, so so read the four passages, Lena, and they're okay. all going to come from the net, actually, translation. Yes. Uh, to see 
But but what we're going to do is with each one of these, we're going to translate it as language rather than sure. as tongues and, and see how normal it these sounds. come across. Okay. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds God has done. For they heard them speaking in languages and praising God. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in languages and to prophesy. If, if, we, you were, if the translators would just simply say languages, oh, which is what the word means, yeah. um, it would save a lot of hassle. But yeah. it's so much part of our Christian experience now that um, they don't. So... Often, but not always, what's understood by many of these passages is that they just began to t talk or speak in some kind of angelic or ecstatic language. That's how many people read those. Um, that And somehow these are languages unknown to man, but nothing in the context. That's, I guess, what we want to drive. There's nothing in right. the context that would indicate that it was something other than just human languages. It's explicitly stated in Acts 2.10 where in referencing of the fact that they're speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. They're saying, we're hearing them in our language. In right? our own language, right? Yeah, and and they're very specific dialects, mm -hmm. the Arab and the Cretan, etc. Um, and that's the whole setting. In Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost. It's an, an annual feast, um, and many people would come from all over to celebrate it, Jews. And so what you had is Jews that were living within Israel, and they would speak Hebrew, most likely most of them would speak Aramaic. Right. Um, and then you had all those Jews that uh, were part of the diaspora, and they, mm -hmm. they, they were um, Hellenistic Jews, mm -hmm. so they would speak whatever language they grew up in. They grew up in Egypt, then they're going right. to speak Egyptian. I mean, it's it, Ethiopia, they're going to speak Amharic. I mean, they're just going to do their languages. Uh, but then the Spirit comes upon these people, uh, who are waiting for Jesus's instruction and two key events, one that was overtly stated and one not. And this is important for us to try to, this is where it can get a little technical. You want to? Yeah, sure. So the, the first thing that happens is they're all filled with the spirit. Um, the, the term in this passage here is, is pimplemi. Which is just fun to say. Yeah. One of your favorites. Yep. Um, which, and we've talked about this, but it just means a special empowerment. That's what the term means. Uh, in fact, listen to our episode on spirit baptism, filling and indwelling in those ones. And we get into that. and In detail. Yeah. Um, but the result is that they then speak in these other languages as a result right. of this special empowering, this, this pinplay-me of the spirit. Um, it was not constant, but they apparently would would spontaneously speak as... Right. The spirit desired. And that, that's when you get into seeing um, it was distributed to them as of fire. Right. Just boom, boom, boom. It was just popping up. Um, Little but, explosions. Yeah. Um, but they would spontaneously speak as the spirit would move them. What's the second thing? Well, the second is they were also being baptized with the spirit. And this is where the confusion starts. Because mm -hmm. Jesus said in chapter six or chapter one, you need to go and wait yeah. until I baptize you with the spirit. Um, and so people now confuse being filled with the Spirit 
as being the same thing as being baptized mm-hmm. with the Spirit. Because in chapter 2, it expressly says they were filled with the Spirit. But in fact, actually, two events were taking place at the same time. One, they were filled, but also they were being baptized with the Spirit because he promised uh, that this would occur in chapter 1, verse 5. But it's not the same thing. Um, what what this is, is it's when, when you're baptized with the Spirit, and we deal with this in that other podcast in detail, it is Jesus who is baptizing you, not the Spirit, mm-hmm. and he's baptizing you in the Spirit. And what that does, or with the Spirit, is that it places you then into the body. It's an objective reality. Right. It's not an experiential one. Right. And, and, and so the moment you believe, Christ baptizes you with the Spirit into the body of Christ. Um, and this comes out of 1 Corinthians. It's expressly stating that. So um, even though it doesn't talk that in chapter 2 that they were baptized with the Spirit, because we know what was going to happen in chapter 1, that that also is happening. So they're brought... Now, this is why we argue that the church began on the day of Pentecost, because this is where that unique reality of the baptism with the Spirit into the body uh, occurs. And prior to that, it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you know? You know because First Corinthians 13 expressly says that Jesus will baptize every believer with the Spirit into the church. Um, there's nothing in any of that that would indicate there's some external experience as you said, positional. Um, And again, at the beginning here, the Spirit also filled them and causes them to act and do things which are extraordinary, such as speaking a foreign language that they don't know. So that's all that's happening there. Um, You can't go, you can't read more than that. So so these two events are taking place simultaneous, Right. right? One obvious but not really all that important in the long run, which is tongues. And then one not obvious, but most important, right. which is spirit filling or yeah. baptism. Yeah, yeah, that we're, we're, we're now placed into the church and that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, in 2.6, um, when you get to chapter two and verse six, they apparently now have spilled out into the temple courtyard and there they're talking to the people in their various dialects and languages. And this amazes the people because they recognize that these are Galileans. Mm-hmm. You know, are, these are not are these not Galileans? How's it that they all know yeah. our language, right? right. Um, and and so therefore, why why is that shocking to them? Because they wouldn't not normally speak those other languages. No, they're they're it's a podunk area of yeah. Israel. Very simple people. Yes. <laughs> uh, but in verse eight, the languages heard, as we see, our, as we have been saying, is our are the listeners' native language. Um, and that's overtly stated in chapter 9 and verse 11. No, verses 9 through 11. Of chapter 2. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is Lena's going to read. Okay. Do you want to read? I, I, I'm just I got it. I on. can do this. Yeah, these aren't hard. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Pamphylia, <laughs> Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene. That's a lot of people. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own languages. That's a bunch of different languages. (laughs) It said tongues, but I yeah. Well, yeah, but this is written in me because it's very obvious. Yeah, Yeah, it's very obvious. Help myself. Yeah. Yeah, but but what's key is the last part of verse eleven, 
um, but it's often missed because the focus is on tongues rather than the content of what is said. But the very last part of verse 11 says, and what were they doing in those tongues or those languages? Well, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Right, right. exactly. Um, And that is what's the most important part. Uh, The message was of God and his great deeds, um, which of course led to that great sermon by Peter and the salvation and conversion of 3,000 people. Um, so what, what's noteworthy is, is there's, there's not another word about speaking in tongues or languages with these many, these 3,000 who are saved. Right. If, if this was normative, then you would expect them to go do it. Or that something. They yeah. all got baptized and immediately all began sudden, the speaking in tongues. But, right. And then it just keeps on spreading out, but it, it doesn't. It, it was a precursor, yeah. precursor rather, to the sermon. And I find it very interesting. It was the preaching of the gospel, not this demonstration of the spirit through the tongues that yeah. brings the people to faith in Christ. Yeah. Um, they hear it, they're convicted, they repent, and they're yeah. saved. But none of them, it, there is absolutely not one. Actually, it was the speaking in tongues that caused them to doubt. Yeah. Because they said, are these people not all mad? mad. Yeah. Surely Drunk. it's only the third hour. And then Peter stands up. They're, says, not, they're not drunk. Yeah. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, and I'll explain why. And then he preaches. Right. right. And then the conversion takes place. Right. So, so that's it. I mean, that's your, that's your main passage that people use in Acts. Um, we'll look at a couple of others, but there's just not much there. Think of, again, we would ask you as a, a listener, just think about how much you've heard about it and how much these things are referenced. But, there's not that much data in Acts about it. Yeah. Um, so the next time you don't hear about it again until all the way into chapter 10. And what's interesting is what's going on because we find Gentiles who have come right. to faith with the preaching of Peter again. The problem is that the Jews can't accept that. They can't believe that they are part of the church right. uh, because they're Jews Gentiles. and these are Gentiles. And, and so if they're going to be part of the church, they're somehow going to be kind of like in the Jewish realm where you have the court of the Gentiles mm-hmm. and you, and mm-hmm. they're going to be on the outer edges right. of the Israel's worship. They'll never be like a, a natural born yeah. Jew. And so they they can't accept that. So Lena, you want to read verses 45 to 48 in Acts 10? All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So they're blown away because here are people who have now come to faith and that and what they see that they cannot debate is the same thing that had happened clear back in Acts yeah. 2. They, they're speaking in other languages. Um, in fact, I suspect, because these are Jews, um, that what they were hearing was them speaking in Hebrew and Aramaic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. which would not be a language that your Any average Greek. Gentile would ever know, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the key word is for, um, because they were, they were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured on the Gentiles also. How? Well, for this reason, for for they were hearing them speak in tongues and exalting God. Right. So it's it's the tongues then, or the languages where they're speaking about God. It's not just a they can understand. Yeah, yeah, an ecstatic kind of thing. It's 
there was something clearly being communicated right. in their own language, and that then was the sign that they had the Spirit poured out on them. Right, and remember that these are Greeks, uh, Gentiles. They don't know anything about God. Yeah. Um, they're untaught. They're not raised up with the Old Testament and the stories. Who knows what they're talking about? The mighty things of God frequently yeah. go back into the, the flood, mm -hmm. into the Red Sea, the, right. the giving of the law. I mean, these guys were preaching mm -hmm. is what they were doing. They were just yeah. pulling out all these great Old Testament stories that every Jew knew by heart, mm -hmm. but the Greek would not know at all. And all of a sudden, in their own language, in the Jews' own language, they're hearing them talk like they know the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes them understand, oh, yeah. something that's happened here that we can't, we can't argue. Now, what theologically, what's already happened is that when the, those Jew, uh, Gentiles believed, they were baptized with the Spirit. Right. Because, again, that's something that Christ does. It's, a, it's something you don't even experience. You don't know about. It just An happens. Reality. They right. are now part of the church. But the problem is that we're at this unique situation in Acts where something whole, a whole new thing is happening. And people miss that. Is it's not just a continuation of the old thing; it's a new thing. Uh, Ephesians two, right. um, and the Jews got, have got to deal with this. They have to figure out what what are we going to do with these guys. And so, by the speaking in tongues, it shows that in fact they are included in the church. Yeah. Um, and just on that point, it, we did talk about it in spirit filling, but. When there's that special feeling, which is pimply me, um, it's often associated with an, an issue of the word. It's a it's a unique gifting of the mouth. Yeah. So so Peter stands up and he's filled by the spirit, pimply me, and he preaches that phenomenal sermon where all these people are converted. When you see them filled by the spirit, pimply me, there's often prophetic utterance. But again, that's a word ministry. Yes. And then pimply me here when they're filled by the spirit, especially in Acts 2, it's they speak in tongues, but they're speaking something very specific, namely the marvelous things of God. Right. And so it's always a, a word ministry, but something that can be understood. Yes. And it's for edification or judgment or something, but it, it goes back to your point that the word and the spirit are always together. Yeah. Um, so it's not the filling of the spirit and then you bark like a dog. Right or filled with the Spirit, and you fall on the floor and start writhing yeah. um, or giggling uncontrollably or some of the other silly type of excesses that you see. But once you step out of the Word, then you can come up with anything, and you can just assign that as that's mm -hmm. the Spirit. This is how the Spirit works. And it's like, no, no, you don't have any indication of that. Right. So the last place. Yeah, Acts 19.6. Um, Paul at this point, uh, is the focus of the book of Acts. And he's traveling now throughout Asia Minor and he's evangelizing and planting churches. And he finds, he come across some people um, claiming to be Christians. And he asks if they've received the spirit to which they said they didn't even know what the spirit was. They'd never even heard it. <laughs> so they're not taught well. Yeah. And the, these are, of course, the 12 disciples of John. Um, by the way, this gives a sense of how rapidly the gospel yeah. was going out and also how simple it was that these right i mean they had heard something but but they're far away i mean this is acts 19 so this is quite a bit later yeah they're near ephesus yeah um so these people were following jesus and were, were trusting him uh they did not have a good grasp of theology um they had been baptized with water uh in the way right. that john the baptist did it 
um, which was a baptism of repentance um, for those who were to then believe in the coming Messiah. Mm. Right. So this is what they were kind of in this middle position. They weren't necessarily Old Testament Israel. They weren't baptized in Jesus yet. They were with John. Right. Who's preaching the coming Messiah. But they, they were believing in Jesus, they, but they didn't have a complete understanding of what the, any of that meant. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. like I said, that in-between zone. Right. So, then Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus. Um, again, th- this shows the uniqueness of Acts. You, you find, as we were just saying, people are these sort of halfway followers and needing instruction, needing to fill in those gaps. Right. Uh, they're then filled with the Spirit. And when they are, they then begin to speak in other languages and prophesy. and Which again, you've got that word-based because they're prophesying. Right. Yep. And that's not just saying, thus that the Lord, tulips are going to grow tomorrow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, we're going to do it, but yeah. Uh, so, and then uh, why, why are they speaking in tongues? Why are they prophesying? Well, likely to confirm to Paul that they're now truly part of that people of God. They're in the church and they're no longer of John the Baptist, but now they're of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so now we're we're with these Gentiles who are far removed, yeah. um, far removed from Israel. So we 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 just see the steady progression of the gospel going out, and in these and this is it. We've now covered every instance of tongues in the Book of Acts. In these three instances, each one that shows a confirming reality that God is at work among both Jew. And, yeah. and Gentile. Jews in Acts 2, Gentiles Acts 10, and then these halfway people <laughs> right. in Acts 19 of John the Baptist's followers. But but when you realize that that's all there is, it doesn't fit with how much you hear about it. Um, it in, in the book of Acts, tongues plays an exceedingly minor role um, three times. Never is it emphasized, never is it sought after. Uh, by the apostles or by any other believer ever. It just happened in three very unique situations. And yet, again, so much is built off of the Acts passages as if this is just what's happening right and left and everyone was experiencing it to the point now that you people are guilted into thinking they're somehow less a Christian in some circles because they've never experienced the Spirit in this way. And so, you know, we know the word. How how did that person say it? They know their Bible, but they don't get the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they don't get the Holy Spirit, and there's almost a pity. And it's like, yeah. don't pity because um, the word is tightly connected to the spirit. So that's that's our introduction uh, to this whole topic. Uh, the next podcast, what we're going to do is look at the key section in the Bible, which is First Corinthians. That's the biggie. Yep. Um, and what we but we want to be clear, it will not make any difference, um, at least in the short term for most people. You're going to either believe in tongues or you're not. Um, but for me, this whole thing is a bit of a nuanced issue because I believe, and we, we talked about this today, um, I believe that there is that gift of tongues or languages that can still exist today. Um, but I don't believe that the vast, vast majority of what people call tongues is actually the gift of tongues. And so it makes it really hard when I'm talking to people because they say, well, you don't believe in tongues. I'm like, actually, I do believe in tongues. But what you're doing is not tongues. And then the argument usually. You got John Piper helping the issue too. <sighs> yeah. Um, so what may be a helpful exercise for people is over the next week, just 
look and listen and ask people about why they believe in tongues. Just engage people that you know. Uh, ask yourself, why do you believe in tongues? Um, take note, though, of how much of it actually is flowing out of a biblical context. How much of it is, you know, the scripture says this um, versus experience. Because I, my experience is the vast majority of my conversations always devolve into you can't take away what I know to be true because I've experienced it. In some way or another, that's what they're saying. Uh, but if you hear them talk about jot, uh, a passage, jot it down, um, and then look at those passages and ask yourself what exactly is being said in the text. We will actually look at every instance in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14 in the next podcast. So jot them down on your own See if you can figure out what's the text actually saying, not what your first gut reaction is, but look at it and let it work itself out. And you're going to be surprised to find that only a few passages are ever really used. Uh, it, I, I'm thinking of three uh, in First Corinthians 12, 13, 14, about private prayer language. Uh, it's angelic speech. Um, another one that slips my mind, but that's the ones you always hear. And those, it's like... We're praying the Spirit, dude. Oh yeah, which isn't even. But, but it's it not doesn't an even talk about tongues. No, but um, it's implicit in so many people's minds. Yes, that's what it must be talking about. Yes, yes. Um, so until the next podcast, we hope in some way we've been helpful, um, and we hope at least we've intrigued you a little bit. Um, until then, share the podcast, like, subscribe, leave a review if you would. But we appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm.